Give my lovely wife a hand if you would, please. Uh, I'm excited this morning. Just want to remind you, our message notes are available on Uversion Live. So if you click on the little Holy Bible on your iPad or your iPhone. Uh, since we now have this free Wi-Fi victory guest for everyone, you don't have to have a password. Uh, you can get that available. It won't, it won't eat into your download or your data plan or whatever, so it's all free. Uh, if you did not, if you don't have a smartphone, then we want to take care of you as well. On the way out, your life group questions are here on the back of the message notes. We're going to pr print these. They'll be available out there each Sunday. So if you want a hard copy of notes to be able to take notes on, just pick that up on the contact desk on your way in on Sunday morning, and you'll have on the back your life group questions. I think Don already mentioned that, but we don't want to let you know that's out there and available for you. This morning we have a very special guest uh, who has been a friend of ours now for, gosh, uh, I guess 35 years or so, uh, 1980, it'd be 33 years. Uh, Matt Black is a missionary to Turkey, lives in Izmir. I'm going to let him tell you all about that. We met Matt in 1980 in a church where we were all together in a college ministry, and God did an amazing thing in Matt's life. Uh, he is one of our missionaries that we have been supporting here now for a number of years uh, and are excited to be able to have share his testimony for a few moments today. I'm going to be coming back in just a few moments and continuing with Mark. But if you would give your attention for the next few, please, to Matt Black as he comes. Come on, everybody, give him a hand. Come on, brother. Thank you, Pastor Michael. And thank you, Victory Church. I just simply want to testify to the glory and sovereignty of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's my primary purpose with you. I'm working in the country of Turkey. Here's a map. Let's go back to the previous map. Where in the world is Turkey? Just look at the big continent of Africa and go north across the Mediterranean. You'll see in pink is the nation of Turkey. The next map, that's a closer version. It's a nation about the size of Texas with a population of about 70 million people. My city where I'm living, working is Izmir on the west coast. That's the biblical city of Smyrna, as you'll see in the next map, that shows what Turkey looked like back in the uh, times of the Apostle Paul, back when the New Testament was being written, the church was being birthed. It's the location of what were the seven churches of the book of Revelation. Much of Paul's ministry occurred in Turkey. The region of Galatia, Cappadocia, many of the regions mentioned on the day of Pentecost occurred in what is now Turkey. But fast forward some 2,000 years up to current times. As far as uh, the state of missions, as far as the state of the church in the world, Turkey has been described as the largest unreached nation on the planet. It's got a population of about 70 million people. Out of 70 million Muslims, there's about 5,000 Christians. 5,000 Turks from an Islamic background who in the past number of years have come to Christ. I want you to ponder those numbers for a minute. Just massive numbers that we're talking about. 70 million Muslims, 5,000 Christians. And 
in spite of those daunting numbers, I want to give a good report that even though there's giants in the land, Jesus is Lord and his kingdom is growing in Turkey. We've seen 24 former Muslims baptized in the past 18 months or so. 24 make that good confession in the presence of many witnesses and get baptized. Now, Turkey's different than West Memphis. <laughs> and you, you've probably seen Turkey in the news this past year. I mean, it, it gets exciting. We, we have all kinds of exciting things like earthquakes and national uprisings and wars around us. In fact, uh, this past year, it says there were nationwide protests uh, against the efforts of the prime minister and the current administration to take Turkey toward more of an Islamic form of society, reforming some of the, the laws. So a significant portion of the population rose up in protest against that. You, you may have seen that. Who saw that this past year as far as the protests in Turkey? Well, I had a front row seat. About 3 o'clock in the morning, I was awakened by several hundred people walking right in front of my apartment in protest against the current administration in Turkey. Um, we've got the war in Syria with thousands of refugees crossing the, the borders into Turkey. And it, it's a time of major upheaval, not just in this nation, but in that whole region. But I believe, as the scripture says, God even causes the wrath of man to praise him. God is using these circumstances, this turmoil, this upheaval, to open the hearts of people to consider something that they've never considered before. And he's actually helping the process because many of the people that we've seen come to faith, their first step was a divine encounter with Jesus in a dream before they'd even met a Christian, before they'd attended a church, before they'd ever seen a Bible. While they're even content as a Muslim, God sometimes just sovereignly reaches down and says, this one I've chosen. We've got a lady in our church who was healed of epilepsy in a dream encounter she had with Jesus. A few months ago, this is, I probably got about 15 or 20 people, personal contacts of mine, friends of mine, who are sharing testimonies like this. And it's even like a few months ago, I call it Domino's Pizza. It's probably Sunday night and I'm watching football, American football. And the Domino's Pizza delivery guy gets on his little motorbike and comes to my place, brings me my pizza, and I pay him for it. And it's not like we're friends. He's one of several Domino's Pizza delivery guys I've seen. But um, <laughs> after he gives me the pizza, he starts telling me about a dream encounter he's had with Jesus. 
the Domino's Pizza guy. The Turkish Domino's Pizza guy. And this raises all kinds of questions, but two of which I'll say. The first one is, why is he sharing with me? Because he doesn't know me. And secondly, why does the Domino's Pizza guy get to see Jesus, <laughs> but I don't get to see Jesus? <laughs> I'm trusting my time's coming. <laughs> this, this is just an ex because none of us, me and my colleagues, I'm part of a church of about 150 people. It's about half Turkish with the other half being foreigners from as many 20 different countries like Arkansas. And, and none of us are gifted evangelists. Our greatest evangelism strategy is simply putting ourselves in a position to participate in what God is doing. It's the sovereignty of God that we're seeing where God will be glorified in the nations and God will be glorified among the Muslim nations. And he is being glorified. This is the kind of thing that you don't hear on CNN. I talked about the protest. It was a bizarre situation. I'm at home watching CNN international coverage of the protest in Turkey. And the sound on my television set is being drowned out by the protesters outside my apartment building. But you know, people ask me, is, is it safe? Is it any kind of dangerous where you're at? And honestly, folks, I appreciate the concern for my welfare, but I'm getting just a little tired of that question. <laughs> Be because I've reached the conclusion that the only place of safety is in the center of God's will. <laughs> the only place of safety is in the center of God's will. I would rather be in the middle of 70 million Muslims and in God's will than be in West Memphis, Arkansas, outside of God's will. <laughs> okay? <laughs> um, it, it, it is just a glorious thing to see how God can take a person who has been entrenched in Islam for all their life and radically transform them into a lover of Jesus Christ. I've got a, a dear brother named Abdullah. He lived with me for two years. His uncle is a mullah. That's a regional, political, religious leader. The plan for Abdullah was to be an imam. But Abdullah has come to faith in Jesus. And because of his faith in Jesus, he has suffered. And he's one of several close friends I've got who have suffered because of their faith in Jesus. And really, it's nothing different than what you and I have in common. 
It's really for the simplicity of following Christ. Of simply coming together in a Christian gathering like a church on a Sunday or meeting in a life group in your home and making that profession of faith. Abdullah's actually come very close to the point of death because his uncle and his grandfather were planning for him to be an imam. But now he's become a preacher of the gospel. He's, he's one of many I go to church with every Sunday who have spent time in jail, who have been beaten, who have been rejected by their families, who's had spouses leave them because of their profession and faith, who've lost their jobs, who have been defamed in their local neighborhood and had all kinds of slander spread against them. I'm talking both Turks and foreigners. I've got a friend from Idaho. He's one of the elders in our church, one of my colleagues. He started work in Turkey back in the 1960s. He was working at a time that's much tougher than it is today. He was doing like overt evangelistic activity, sharing the gospel. He's, he's got the distinction, his name is George Birch, got the, at least that, that's his current name. He's got the distinction of having spent time in jail in 10 different provinces of Turkey because of his work for the gospel. That's not just in jail 10 times. That's time in jail and prison in 10 different provinces. Provinces are like states. So if you can just imagine, they're not as big as our states, but just for the sake of perspective, George has spent time in jail in Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky, Virginia, West Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, and Mississippi. That's kind of the perspective. It got so bad that he got kicked out of the country. In order for him to go back to Turkey, he decided he would change his legal identity. His wife, when she heard of his plan, wouldn't have a thing to do with it. And George said, well, would, would you just pray? So she started praying, okay, I'll pray. But she didn't want, she didn't like this idea at all. But then when she started having her devotional times in the scriptures, God kept showing her passages that said, and I will give you a new name. <laughs> so they changed their legal name so they could go back into Turkey and work as missionaries. I've heard it said, if the doors close, crawl through the window. Let's just show you some pictures uh, that will give you a glimpse into our people. And you have a portion in what is happening in Turkey because you've been graciously, generously supporting me for like the past 16 years, ever since I've been there. And here is what some of your investment 
This is just a small glimpse, just a flash. This is our Sunday congregation. We're fortunate enough to be able to meet in church at an old Anglican church that this building was constructed in 1900, but they've had a congregation since uh, the 16th century. This is the church in Smyrna. Next picture. This dear sister was just baptized a couple of months ago. A picture from the front of the church. Um, this is Terry, Zainab, and Seabell. The lady in the center, she's a deacon. One of our house group leaders helps me oversee the life groups. I got to say, the lady on the left, Michael, you'll like this. This is Terry. She used to sing with Andre Crouch. <laughs> and she's now part of our ministry there in Izmir. One of our life groups. I'm glad to see that y'all's life groups are being started again this, this week. We currently have 11. And this is a family and a dear sister who were just baptized last year. And now they're being trained for discipleship and trained for ministry leadership, actually. This is our prayer meeting every Tuesday and Thursday morning. This gives a, a view from the front of the church on Tuesday and Thursday from 8.30 to 10. Our leadership team, uh, four elders and one deacon. That's George in the front with the white beard. Looks like uh, Colonel Sanders. With the <laughs> This is a mother and her son who were baptized together just last year. This brother came to faith after his wife first came, came to faith when she was single. And against our counsel, she married an unbeliever. And then it, a long process, but she repented, said, I, I did the wrong thing by marrying a non-believer. And we prayed, worked through it, and finally her husband has come to faith. This, this brother is, was just baptized last year. He and his wife, as you'll see his wife in the next picture, he is currently in prison for a crime that he committed before he came to faith. Justice caught up with him, and he was convicted, has been sent to prison, and his wife, and he has a wife and three little babies at home, and so we as a church are committed to, to care for his wife and children. That's his wife. She was baptized the same day. This is uh, a Christian retreat campground. It's about an hour outside of our city of Izmir, right next door to the ancient uh, city of Ephesus. You can see 2,000-year-old walls of the city on the hill just above this retreat center. This couple came to faith along with their two sons a couple of years ago. This is, again, Mary, who's uh, a man I'm discipling, and Helmut, my colleague. This brother, several years ago, before he came to faith, he murdered his fiancée, his girlfriend, or his ex-fiancée. In a fit of rage, uncontrolled anger, murdered his uh, ex-girlfriend, was convicted of that murder, spent time in prison, 
was released early because he was judged to be mentally ill at the time. Has since come to faith, came to our church, wanted to get baptized, and he stood up in front of our church on the Sunday he was going to get baptized, and he just wanted to disclose everything from his past. And he gave the details about murdering this lady and repented before the church and before God publicly. And it was an incredibly glorious thing to see the church, former Muslims who have come to Christ, see a man who's committed such a grievous crime and embrace him into the family of faith. Just to see the power of God's redemption working through former Muslims for whom this would have been unthinkable. And this is still a marked man that lady's family is, is trying to seek vengeance. You can see the joy on his faith. He's now working with the Gideon's ministry, trying to distribute Bibles in hospitals. Okay, next picture. This family of three, you've seen their picture before. Uh, this husband and wife, uh, they actually lived in the United States for a while. And they went, they visited a traditional uh, old type of uh, church here in the States. Uh, and the, uh, the priest there basically told them, because they were interested in Christianity, and the priest spoke to them saying that, well, it's quite a long process. We've got a series of studies that you have to go through, and we feel it's probably not quite right for you. He was sincerely seeking and was turned away by a traditional church uh, leader. I'm trying to be careful not to. But he goes back to Turkey and meets a Christian who invites him to church. He comes to faith, gets saved, and his family gets saved. We baptized him and his wife. And then they together baptize their daughter. So he comes to America as a sincere seeker, goes to a church, is turned away, goes back to the largest unreached nation on the planet with 70 million Muslims and finds Jesus. And he feels that that happened because God has called him to be a minister of the gospel to his own people. So, Victory Church, thank you. I'm speaking not just for myself, but I speak on behalf of people who are your brothers and sisters in Christ who have come to faith because of the investment that you've helped make in the nation of Turkey. And I thank you for how you've been so generous to me personally. Thank you, Brother Mike. Yeah. Thank you, Brother. Let's stand. Would you give Matt a hand this morning? Amen. Come on, let's give God praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your work in Turkey.
we're at, we're at number 22, and I'm going to put this in turbo today. Let's go ahead and put our scripture on the screen. Let's read together from our key text from Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Find the screen and read with me, please. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Great and mighty God, we are moved today to hear the stories of Your sovereign hand working in this nation. Thank you that there's no place too strong and hard. There's no darkness so thick that light cannot penetrate it. Thank you for sending Matt Black all the way from Mount Ida, Arkansas to Izmir, Turkey. Thank you for the privilege that we have as a congregation to monthly just support a little bit to blessing him and giving him the things that he needs to be able to stay on task, to stay at his post to be a witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray you bless, protect, guard, guide, keep him safe. Thank you that he said the truth that the safest place on the earth is in the center of the will of God. Lord, help us each in this room find that place. Lord, in our lives, to be centered in your will and our relationship with you. Lord, to, to know it in our purpose, what you've called us to do and become. Lord, as we take the next few moments in the gospel of Mark, open our eyes, give us the ability to see, to perceive ears that hear. We, we cry out to you for that. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. I cannot do anything apart from you. I acknowledge that before you and this people. We'll be careful to give you all the praise and the glory in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Wow. Thank you, Matt. Tremendous, tremendous testimony there. Uh, just so blessed. Um, we're going to give Matt a check besides what we always give him the first of every month. We have something this morning. If you would like to bless Matt, you can go by and give him what we call a Pentecostal handshake. That's where you roll up at least a 20 in your hand. I'm just teasing. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm sorry. You do whatever you want to, one, five, whatever. I just, I, that's just I'm whatever. And I don't want to do any kind of power of suggestion. But I remember as a kid getting a few of those Pentecostal handshakes and they just kind of smile and I felt that and I'm going, praise the Lord, hallelujah. <laughs> so if you want to drop by and bless our brother with a handshake or you want to write something into a check at the close of the service, we'll make sure that it gets to him. Um, our text this morning is in Mark chapter 8. We've got three little vignettes that we're going to group together uh, today and I'm going to take about the next 25 minutes as quickly as I can to bring five concepts that I want to lay into your heart today. You can remain seated but I'm going to read out loud from Mark 8. We're going to just cover this quickly so we can jump in and grab these concepts today. We're looking at Mark chapter 8 and verse 11. The Bible says, The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Everybody say test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. And just, I'm almost see Jesus. <sighs> Not again. It's just, you know, give me a break. Is the, you can just see that on Jesus in this sigh. He sighed deeply in his spirit and he said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat, and went to the other side. That's a sadness that just hangs over that last sentence. And he left them. And the, got into the boat again and went to the other side. Next section. This is the second little vignette. Jesus now is talking to his disciples about these Pharisees that he was just dealing with. Verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, Watch out. 
Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes you do not see, and having ears you do not hear. And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Don't you get it, guys? Really? Are we going to have to go over this again? Do you not yet understand? Last little vignette, little picture. Jesus moving in his ministry here, verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Just note that. When he had spit on his eyes, there is Jesus doing that crazy, wacky way of healing again using spit. When he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? Verse 24, and he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. So he's, he's having a focus issue. He was completely blind, couldn't see at all. Now in this first stage of a healing, he's, he's, he has sight and he's excited, but it's very blurry. Okay? <coughs> Pardon me. They look like trees walking. <coughs> Can I ask somebody to get me some water? <coughs> I don't think there's anything in this one over here. Yeah, I need, I need a miracle of multiplication. Thank this. Somebody is right on the money. Thank you, my brother. That's a man in season right there. <clears throat> he says, and he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything. Everybody say everything. He saw everything clearly. Verse 26, and he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. We just ask now, Father, that you add your blessing to the reading of your amazing, powerful word. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Five things I want to give you very quickly. Number one, this principle that we look at today is this issue about religion. Religion will give you truth without faith and sight without vision. We're dealing with the group of people that Jesus regularly had the most difficult time. It wasn't the hardened sinner. It wasn't someone who had a destructive pattern of behavior in the sense of doing evil, wrong, very bad, improper things. The people who most gave Jesus the most trouble all the time regularly were the religious folks. Everybody say religious. When we use the word religion at victory, it is not usually in a positive connotation. The meaning in religion and many times in scripture when Jesus talks about folks having a religious spirit, it has to do with this idea of putting on an external facade and a show and being legalistic or being pharisaical about something but yet missing the spirit of the words that they choose and think that they have the, the ability to live by. 
Okay, So it's, it's an outward religion that has not affected or touched the heart. It is reform without transformation. It is information that reforms a reformation, but it doesn't transform from the inside out. Unlike the gospel. The gospel, remember, is not religion. Religion is advice. It offers advice on what you should do. But the gospel is always about what Jesus has already done. Everybody say it's a finished work. Say it with me. It's a finished work. Okay. Christ's work for you is finished. The finishing work of the Holy Spirit is now going on in you. So we're looking at this in two ways. Okay? So today Jesus is wrestling with the Pharisees who show up all around the perimeter of the Sea of Galilee and up and down the Jordan River and in Jerusalem, everywhere he goes, because their influence is pervasive and it's spread. There's always a group of them that are challenging him. When they do see miraculous signs, they question them to the nth degree and still don't step across the line of faith. I really don't believe that Jesus is against uh, the, the use of or the accompanying aspect of signs. Because after all, when you close out the Gospel of Mark, it is clear that it says they preached the Gospel and the Spirit of the Lord worked with them, confirming the Gospel with signs and wonders following. The Bible says, These signs shall follow them that believe. And it lists what those signs are. When you really understand the Scripture, you recognize that once you have been born again, you literally have become a sign and a wonder according to the Scriptures, what it says. You yourself are to be a living, walking, breathing sign and wonder of the gospel of God. You are to attest, to be a witness to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Your life is to be a sign. Your life is to be a wonder to somebody else. I don't believe Jesus was upset because anybody was ever asking for a miraculous demonstration, but they were asking for a guarantee. They were asking for something to basically prove, and history had been repeating itself over and over repeatedly among the Pharisees every time there was a sign. Jesus has had healed multitudes of people over and over and over again, and there was always an accusation. There was always a questioning. Uh, this, can this really be of God? Should you do it this way? Should it be on the Sabbath? There's always an accusation coming from the Pharisees. Matthew Henry calls this obstinate unbelief. Obstinate unbelief. The, the Pharisees weren't looking for something that would help them, nudge them across that last inch into the line or a life of faith. They were just basically looking to be entertained so that they could take a moment and accuse. And they were looking to argue with him and to test him. Uh, how many of you, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with this, asking God to confirm His Word when we're seeking the will of the Lord in our lives for a sign, for a direction that we're supposed to take, making a godly decision based on wisdom. Uh, let me just give you a one-minute summary. I preached a series of messages well over a year ago, probably close to two years ago, and you can check it out on our website under Media Messages at www.victorywired.com. There's a series called Seven Guiding Lights or the guidance series, and each Sunday we took a particular component of God's GPS, God's positioning system, how He guides us to be able to make decisions in life. We prove the will of God, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And scriptural confirmation is one. What does the Bible say? Inward witness is another. What does your gut say? Peace of God inside is another. What does the Spirit of God say? 
Godly counsel. Book of Proverbs says, In the multitude of counselors there is safety. What do godly men and women around you that you look to who influence you, who mentor you, who disciple you? Maybe a life group leader, a pastor, a a shepherd in the church, a team leader, someone that you're working with. Those godly counseling people in your life, what are they saying? And there's seven of those. So without going through that, I believe that God gives us signs. I believe He gives us the sign of what the Word says. He gives us peace in our hearts. Let the peace of God rule your hearts by faith. Nothing wrong with asking for a sign. These folks were pushing it to a different direction and to a whole extreme. It was out of a spirit of unbelief. And Jesus warns the disciples and He says, You beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And we've got a bunch of dullard disciples who think He's talking about bread. So first principle is this. Religion will give you truth without faith and sight without vision. It will make you think because you know a principle or you know the Ten Commandments and you think that you have the ability to live those out in your own strength that your knowing, your knowledge of them is the same thing as if you're really possessing it in your life. One of my mentors used to say it this way. He said, especially having been a part of a, of a movement that had a lot of revelatory preaching and deeper life emphasis and some of the depths of the knowledge that's in the Scripture, and he would always say knowledge of, the, of a thing is not the same as possession of that thing. In other words, you can know about the new birth academically, but it ain't no good to you. Pardon my Arkansas English. It ain't no good to you until you've experienced the new birth and you have been born again. Come on, somebody. Can I have an amen? You can explain it. You can quote Scripture. You can academically analyze it. You can intellectually understand it. But until you have experienced it, until that word has been applied in your life, you may know about it, but you have not yet experienced it and possessed it for yourself. Knowledge of a thing is not the same as the possession of that thing. It's one thing to believe in Jesus. The Muslims in Turkey believe in Jesus that He was a moral teacher, that He was a prophet, yes, even sent by God. But they don't believe Jesus in the words that he says until they get visited in the middle of the night by a dream experience. Isn't it amazing even without the usage of a missionary or someone with a megaphone or with a Bible, Jesus can visit someone in a country that's completely turned foreign in their thinking to God and Jesus by his sovereign work and his Holy Spirit can grab and apprehend a person. Man, I love that. Hallelujah. And you lit my fire in here this morning, man. I love, praise God. You know what, I want to stop and say this. This is a man who went 10 years without seeing any of that. Day in, day out, month, turned into year, turned into another year, turned into a decade before there was any real breakthrough. And just, let me just say this to somebody this morning that's in a place of hurting where you're going, God, when, is, when am I going to see a breakthrough? Don't give up! Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not faint. Hallelujah! Jesus looked at a handful of disciples that just didn't get it another time, and he said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. The, 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 the book of Mark includes, and the Sadducees. And here it says, and of Herod. Because this, this religious idea can give you truth and not bring faith to accompany it. It can give you sight but no vision to see or to perceive. Let me help you a little bit. It's so easy to sit in a place of judgment this morning against the Pharisees and not realize that we can have the same spirit and do the same stuff in southern churchianity. You can be catechized and never know Christ for yourself. You can go through a confirmation class at your local church and you can never have experienced salvation on your own. 
You can, you can get wet in the waters of New Testament baptism and never having experienced the new birth that the baptism itself is supposed to be celebrating. Come on, somebody. We don't want dead religion. We want living person. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. He, he's basically saying, this is bad bread. This title of my message is Bad Bread and Blindness. You know, we, 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 have, we have an allergy. Some of you, you have to eat gluten-free because it affects your digestive system. I'm telling you, Jesus is saying, look, you can eat that pharisaical bread and it will tear up your spiritual digestive system. It will mess you up. Because he says, there's, there's leaven, there's yeast. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Come on, ladies, talk to me. Some of you men who cook, what does yeast do? What does it do? It rises, it expands. You, you put a little bitty tiny pinch of yeast into a bowl of flour, cover it up, you come back a couple days later. What's happened to that flour? That yeast has spread all over the place and it begins to change the nature of what's in that bowl. Jesus says, beware of the contaminating, negatively influencing teaching and doctrine of the Pharisees because they're always looking for a sign but yet never embracing the faith to know a personal relationship with a Savior. It's all about truth but not faith. It's all about sight. They think they see but yet they're blind. They don't have any real vision. Beware of that religious nonsense that they play the games with this great looking facade on the outside. And oh yeah, by the way, beware of Herod's Leaven too. There's religious yeast and there's political yeast. And I want to say this and move quickly along. The 1990s, a lot of us as Christians were sucked into the idea that if you were really a Christian, you had to be a member of a certain political party. And let me tell you, for the last few years, I've been battling, trying to move us as a congregation outside of the parameters of any of that, 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 that any concept that any kind of a political ideology can ever save us. I don't care whether it's liberal or whether it's conservative. It's not going to save you. It's not going to save the nation of the United States of America. Only Jesus can save us. I know I'm preaching real good. Dull disciples. Jesus basically scratches his head and said, Really? You mean after all that we've been through, I'm going to have to take you through this thing again? You, you mean to tell me that you still don't get this? I took a little Happy Meal from a boy one day that you brought to me and he had five loaves and two fish in it and I had a crowd of 5,000 men not counting women and children and we fed all of them. Out of that little bitty tiny little bit that you put into my hand, I multiplied it and fed a crazy number of people and guess what? Every one of you disciples went home with a miracle basket. You got into the boat and rode out into the storm with a miracle sitting between your knees. Twelve baskets, one for every one of those twelve disciples and they're rowing the boat in the middle of the storm, doubting in unbelief and they've got a miracle sitting right there in between their knees. And Jesus says, what is it with you guys? And we just turned around the last time we met. We had our Jesus Christ evangelistic meeting and a crowd showed up and we had a few loaves and an unnumbered group of fish and we had 4,000 that we fed that day. How many baskets did you get out of that? And they said, seven, Jesus. He says, are your hearts so hard that you can't perceive? Can you not hear? And what I want you to see this is that when Jesus' most repeated phrase in the Bible is, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. How many of you know everybody on the planet's got some flesh that flaps on the side of your head called ears? 
practically everybody on the planet who has those, probably the vast majority, the 99 point something percentage, has the ability to actually pick up sound waves. We have an auditory faculty of, of, of being able to, to hear sound waves and, and perceive them and have some understanding of the meaning of what we're hearing. But Jesus says that's, there's something deeper than that. I'm talking about your inner ear. I'm talking about your spiritual ear. I'm talking about the ear of your heart. Everybody say heart. All right, I want you to spell the word heart with me. Here we go. H-E-A-R-T. Take the H off the front, the T off the end. What's in the middle? There's an ear in your heart. Jesus says, are your hearts so hardened? When you have hard hearts, it makes your hearing be hard. You can't hear and perceive. Jesus says, I've shown you these miracles. These Pharisees are asking for a sign because they just want to accuse me and argue with me. You disciples have seen the signs and are you telling me you still don't get it? Boys, this ain't about bread. You need something to eat? Bring me a morsel and I'll multiply it to feed a crowd that we don't even have ability to number. Many, many times people like this insist on interpreting something naturally when Jesus wasn't speaking about natural bread. He was talking about the contaminating factor of the spiritual teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And we have the same groups among us today. We just don't call them Pharisees and Sadducees anymore. We've got the fundamentalists on one side and we've got the modernists on the other. And these are legalists about everything that they do. And these have totally removed any kind of miraculous aspect from the gospel or from the power of God. Everything has a natural explanation. Fundamentalists, modernists, Pharisees, Sadducees. Jesus says, beware that extreme teaching on either side. It will rob your faith. It will, like a piece of yeast in a, a, a lump of dough, start to spread through and contaminate and infect and infest your thinking. It will rob your faith. It will build into you an obstinate unbelief. Jesus says, beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and of the leaven of Herod as well. Don't get caught up in all these political maneuverings and power grabs, Jesus is saying. Do we really need to go over this again? Come on, guys. Open your, open your ears. Let a softening come to your heart so the ear inside your heart can begin to hear. And we've got the last little vignette this morning. And I want to take time to reread this. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man, begged him to touch him, and they took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Two last thoughts. If you look at this, my first response is, wow, Jesus did a healing, but something happened. It really didn't right fully take and what I, what I gathered from this is that sometimes restoration is a process. Wouldn't it be great if at the close of this service the lights are dim and heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you could pray a prayer and God would just zap you and your life would just be perfection? Wouldn't it be great? Man, how many times have we had kind of a misrepresentation of Christianity that that's what happens? And we're, we're just soaring for days and then all of a sudden, you know, reality sort of seeps in. And it's amazing how when God transforms a life, sometimes He just immediately deals with certain key issues. But it's like He sort of overlooks some. 
I mean, I know people who they come to Christ and, and man, it's like immediately God just cleans up their foul mouth. But they may struggle with another habit. And they may have to walk in faith and exercise faith in God's continuing gospel and the continuing transformation of the power of the gospel in their lives to see the overcoming victory come into their hearts over that. And so I just want to say to you this morning that if some of you are in a place and you're, you're, you're in between the now and the not yet, you're, you're thankful that you're not what you used to be, but you know that he's, there's still something yet that needs to be dealt with, that you're not yet what you're going to be, don't get discouraged in that moment. Like, like Matt, who continued day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, until he really began to see a breakthrough. I don't believe the gospel takes that kind of time. I think it just takes getting our hearts positioned right. It's amazing how in a moment, what may take somebody else years in a personal struggle to get through, I, I, really, just, I really believe that it just comes down to the place where I finally just submit myself and I, I say, God, I give it to you. I, I'm, I'm not going to play any more games. I'm going to drag this out. I'm not going to keep it a secret. I'm going to share it with a brother or sister because I believe that once it's come into the light, the power of the light will destroy the bondage of darkness. Come on, somebody. We, we protect the environment of grace here at Victory because I want you to know that Jesus doesn't just throw his arms around you, get excited about you when you first come to him. Religious circles, some of you have grown up in church like this. Man, it was wonderful when you first came. But six months later when you had a problem, no, no, you better go back. You better get down. You better deal with it. You better get that heart right. And all the grace that was there for you all of a sudden becomes kind of a bony finger of accusation. And I just want to tell you that grace is not just a blanket that covers our sins. Grace is the, is the power and the presence of God that gets on the inside of us and transforms us from the inside out. Come on, somebody. It teaches us. It moves. It works in us. For it is God who works in us to live and walk according to the pleasure of His goodwill. It's God who works in us to do. Hallelujah. I love that. I, I, I love the recognition of that. I know this morning that when... God does things in my life. Sometimes I may just the miracle of from not seeing it all and all of a sudden I get some understanding. My eyes get open to something. But yet there may be a little time where things are a little bit fuzzy. But oh, thank God that light has broken through. That, that there's something that, that used to never ever have the ability to affect the, the retina in my uh, in my spiritual sight, all of a sudden it's firing and I'm getting these signals in my, my spiritual understanding and I'm thankful that I'm starting to see. Not clear yet, but I'm so thankful that I can see. And, and, and that's where too many times folks expect everything to get fixed and you just need to keep walking with Jesus. Keep, keep walking with Jesus. Let Him continue the work of what He died on the cross to be able to provide for you. And this is my closing thought this morning. You know, when Jesus first got this guy, some friends brought him to him. Can you imagine them talking to that friend, this blind man, and basically saying, you know what, we've heard this prophet of God. Some say he's the Messiah. I, I want you just to come get around him. And if you'll get around him, I promise you, your life can be changed. This Jesus has the ability to, to do something physically, to change whatever the problem is in your physical body so that you can begin to see and Obviously, this blind man had to have some degree of trust for the friends to get up and go. Something along the way, when he met Jesus, Jesus took him by the hand and led him out of the village. He's in a group like this. Let's just say somebody comes forward, and I say, okay, I'm going to pray for you, but I walk him out of the mall all the way around to the backside 
it would take a good deal of trust. There's a point where Jesus, I think, moves us out of where we're comfortable to move us into a place where it's going to take real faith, where there's going to have to be a little bit of a risk, where we step out into something where we've never seen before. When I was in college, there were people there who, it was so amazing to me, the independent level that they were able to achieve as young 18, 19, 20-year-old blind people who had a cane and they knew how many steps it was between the old science building and Wilson and from Wilson down to the edge of the curb and they would, they would tap and they would count their steps internally. Cross the road, they're at the post office at State University, Arkansas. Turn right and then take the sidewalk down and count the steps. They knew how many steps they'd have to take to the next curb and then they would be at Twin Towers and they would go up so many floors and get off not be able to see a thing. They had gained a level of certain amount of independence just counting steps and tapping canes and learning to recognize voices as speak people spoke to them. And can you imagine the independence that this guy had being in a village? He knew where it was. He probably recognized the smell from the market. He heard the voices of familiar friends. But he's been brought to this Jesus in this moment. And Jesus says, friend, I want to take you on a path you've never been before. And he has to let Jesus take him by the hand. And he's probably stumbling and feet being caught on rocks because he's going a way that he's never walked before. And today I want to say to you, there's some of you in this room, you're at this, you're at this moment. There's been a blindness in your life. The gospel has settled down into your heart today. Maybe a friend invited you to this place. Maybe there's a brokenness and a hurting in your heart that you don't have an answer for. I just want to say to you today, your hope is not in me or anybody else in this church, but it's in the Jesus that we're talking about who will reach out His hand and He will lead you out of a spot where you've learned to be independent, where you've learned to just make it through the thing that is a weakness, a blindness, something that has held you back your whole life. You know what? Sin does that to every one of us. So I'm not just talking to somebody who has a physical ailment or any kind of a situation like that, but everybody in the room, until you've crossed that line of faith, Jesus has touched your eyes and give you the ability to see spiritually. Every one of us are blind. Every one of us are spiritually dead until He, by His Holy Spirit, regenerates us and gives us new life. This morning, He's saying this to you. Come with me, follow me. And as you take that step of faith, He's going to open your eyes. He's going to walk with you in the process of restoration. Would you bow your heads with me, please, this morning? Every head bowed, every eye closed.